everybody, and uh, welcome back to Hooked on Hitchcock, the uh, monthly podcast where G. Larry Butler and I talk about um, all of Hitchcock's films. Um, I think we're going to go through all of them. I kind of hope so, at least. Um, but we're trying to also do a lot of the ones that are not as well known. But before we get into all of that, I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and I'm here with G. Larry Butler. How you doing, Larry? Hey, 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 happy day. Happy yeah. day. Great to be with you again. Yes. And uh, and I, I just realized we did another Ingrid Bergman movie. Didn't realize. Uh, so we had done Spellbound earlier this year, this season. And this is the second and I think only other. There might have been one other one. I don't think so, though. I think this might have been the only other one that Ingrid Bergman did with Hitchcock. Interestingly enough, this was the last one she did with Hitchcock. I wonder why. I'm not surprised. She is cinema uh, royalty for sure. You know, she's a class act. She is. And she was really good in this movie. Um, The only problem I have with this movie, honestly, is that it's sort of it's not it's not your typical Hitchcock, first of all. It's um, it's very historic uh looking and sounding it wasn't made in the time period that it was filmed is made the 1800 it was supposed to be about the 1800s mm-hmm. and uh it was sort of honestly it's it's sort of a slow movie um and i think when i first watched it i mean i watched the whole thing but i was not happy with it because i was like i don't really i'm not really digging it you know and I can kind of see why this movie sort of uh, bombed. You know, it didn't do very well for Hitchcock. I definitely wanted to see it again. I didn't get a chance. I've been so busy lately. But but it was made in 1949 to, to look like 1831. And uh, it was uh, pretty slow and talky and uh, kind of a melodrama, which was experimental for Hitchcock. He went out on a limb on this one. And uh, it didn't do too well uh, for him and he wasn't well received he was pretty much panned even lately a lot of people say my god this is the worst thing he's ever done and some people come to his defense and say no no it was really good i mean it, it, it was different but it you know mm. slow, but definitely had some surprises but uh there was only a couple that i can count that i was actually surprised it was the very end but we won't get into that but we'll get into that later um, for sure, but the beginning, um, so, so it was classified as a thriller. I would not classify it as a thriller at all. Um, a maybe historic drama or drama romance, romance, actually, not even like there wasn't. See, that's the thing. The thing I actually liked about the movie, really liked about the movie, is that it's not your typical like romance, romance, you no. know, um, because there's no real happy ending for the couple that would be the romantic couple, you know, or whatever the uh, thing. So I guess we'll get into the story a little bit. So this, um, let me read what the um, uh, like IMDB says about it and everything. And uh, let me do the longer one. There's a lot of IMDB ones. Um, this will spoil some stuff, but we'll 
it's fine because we'll get into all of this stuff more. Um, now, eighteen thirty-one, Charles Adair has just arrived in Sydney, New South Wales, to make his fortune, like many British um, expatriates uh, have uh, done before him in this frontier land. He is part of the entourage of the newly appointed governor, Sir Richard. Oh my God. He was my favorite character, by the way. The governor. Oh, I okay. loved him. Yeah. You know, and I love you as the governor in our movies. So, Hi. thank you. You know, so uh, you're a little, little different than this, this governor. This governor was pretty funny, though. Um, his second cousin. Uh, beyond the connection, uh, Charles has no skill or money of his own on which to build it, that fortune. He learns that part of his doing business here is not speaking of the past, as many of those who have made their fortune are ex-convicts who are considered to have paid their debt to society in their time served. One of, uh, one of those who has both served his time and made a subsequent fortune is Sam Flusky, a land baron. While many men will do business with Sam in the... Uh, I guess that's supposed to be in the seeming honorable. And he's seeming honorable. Many of their wives will not associate with the Fluskies because of his wife, largely on hearsay and gossip. Charles, too, is warned by Sir Richard not to associate with the Fluskies because of that gossip and the potential scandal to their family. Regardless, Charles does attend a gathering at the Flusky estate in having entered into a business relationship with Sam. Charles not only discovers that Sam's wife, Lady Henrietta Hattie, is a childhood friend from back in Ireland, thus they are that they are the same, the same Fluskies about which there was as much scandal back in Ireland surrounding a murder, but that she does suffer from delusions which do not allow her to function in general society. In Hattie's general state of incapacity, the Flusky estate is managed by the housekeeper, Millie, with an iron fist. Informing a renewed friendship with Hattie, Charles is able to bring her out of her shell, which leads to feelings developing between the two. Someone has ulterior motives and making Charles and Hattie's relationship more than some of its parts, which is complicated by a long-held secret uh, and attempted murder. Pretty much that does sum up the movie, would you say? Yeah. Okay, well, that's in a nutshell. Pretty well, I mean, a big, big, big ass nutshell. But it's uh, like a giant melodrama, and it was panned. Uh, ferociously by some people they, they call it mediocre script soap opera characters superb cast but they can't bring a life of script to life and uh it was it had echoes of rebecca and suspicion i don't know if you see it that way uh i i guess so uh, you saw you saw suspicion I, I don't think you've seen rebecca yet i'm not um which were it says they said it was a non-thriller which of course it was it, you know, there weren't too many thrilling parts in it, but um, the only thrilling part, and I'll talk about this now. I mean, we will get into it probably later. Is the shrunken head in that in the room? Yes, yeah, that was really good. I see that. Nah. Startled by that. I, mean, I know. What the hell, you know, and I was almost going to sleep, and boom, that that thing popped up. <laughs> Which is funny because they introduced it earlier, right? 
they showed that same shrunken head earlier, and then later it pops up in the bed. I don't know in what context it was shown, but uh, it, it was brought in earlier, yeah. So anyway, uh, they call this uh, Hitchcock's weakest feature. It was experimental. He was trying to do experiment with something new. And uh, melodrama where terror comes from within, uh, from burying secrets and a study on how people torture themselves and each other, which it certainly was. You know, it's very intensive like that, kind of a psychological, um, you know, a drama and uh, thriller of sorts. It wasn't really a thriller. You couldn't even say that, but it was psychological. And uh, poignant romanticism, not normally associated with Hitchcock, which I believe is true also, right? Right. If you haven't seen too much like that. Nope. But, he was just trying different formats and you know good for him you know you gotta you gotta experiment a little bit you uh, can't you can't do the same thing over and over again or you bore the audience um and uh, you can always say that like you know he never bores the audience you know he even yeah. if it's a uh a movie that uh you know even if it's a movie like uh like this where it's more melodrama than anything else he does not bore the audience i think he was challenging himself even more than you know trying to show the audience something different trying to see if he could pull it off and and i don't know if he did or not but it was you know for him i mean it was probably a low point but for the rest of us he's so good at what he does that it was okay you know i give it a passing grade on, on what he did um wasn't my favorite by far mm -mm. Anyway. Well, it's probably i'm gonna say this and we've we've watched a lot of movies on this thing this is probably my least favorite of his movies yeah. and i really wanted to like it um mainly also because they uh he does do the rope thing you know where it's like shot some of it's shot in just one like continuous move and stuff that that one scene where they're all at dinner and they get up and they start walking around. You kind of follow them. But when I saw it as a filmmaker, I looked at it and it's like, I don't like it, you know, because like it works for certain movies where there's only like maybe two people or something, you know, or whatever. But when you have like four people and four people are talking and then it's only concentrating on two people and then then it has to turn to go see the other, you know what I mean? It's it's so obnoxious to me. Like I'm like I can't I I can't hear I I can't see these guys talking, and I don't like it. Like I I and maybe this is how I've been conditioned to watch movies, but I like it when there's coverage. You know, like when there's two. You know what coverage is? Obviously, you're you're an actor, but uh, for people at home, it's when when a char two characters are together, and then you get maybe a shot of like close ups. Or you get another shot of close-ups, or you get a shot of. Uh, they call them know. singles, right? What? When you, when you separate the actors as singles. Yeah, singles and or uh, oh. long shots, or you know, medium, or all these different things, but you get a whole bunch, so that way you don't bore the audience. Because the thing with filmmaking that 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 I've been taught is boring is when you're focused too much on you know like one or two things you know and then you don't 
get more shots because people look at that and they're like, okay, you know, like people notice that. And when they start noticing that, that's bad because that means that they're not paying attention to the story of the movie. They're not in invested in the movie they're more invested in the shots that you're shooting and that that is a that is a um filmmaker no-no you know um a good example of somebody who everybody loves and who drives me crazy on this is baz lerman who does all of these different shots and after a while it feels like a music video and not a movie you know and i i i gets me out of it like the new elvis movie felt like that you know um i just it drove me crazy um and so this was sort of like that where it was trying to show style but not enough substance you know what i mean like i mean that's wonderful for hitchcock to explore but understand that movie might be a bomb because of that what do you think well, it, I'm getting confused because you, do you think it's better to have different angles or not so many? Um, well, it, it sort of depends. Um, I think, I think, okay, so yeah, I kind of use both examples, but there's overdoing it and there's underdoing it, you know, right? Hitchcock in this underdid it, in my opinion. I feel uh, like he didn't, especially, what? Master. You're doing when you use for the show, they'll say, Let's just do a master and then we'll do the different angles, right? Right, but he can't do that when he's doing um handheld uh one shots, you know, the one takes, you know, like uh, you've, you've seen Rope or heard of Rope, right? You know, what it's its whole thing is like that is all takes place in like one shot. So, what they would do, uh, generally. Uh, they filmed like that whole movie that way, pretty much. Like I think the beginning didn't start out that way, but when they got inside the house, it was all just one continuous shot. So what they would do is, and we can talk about it when we do rope eventually, uh, one of the seasons, but um, what would happen is a, uh, the film, the, the camera would pan on like, okay, say they only have like 10 minutes of film that they can roll. Right. So they have to, you know, have to get it down to the to the second that it's about to be cut. So what they'll do is so it looks like it's a cut. They'll go in on the person's like clothes uh-huh. and then the next shot pull back, you know, but it's after they've already cut. So even though and you can I watched rope somewhat recent, like it was a couple years ago and I was <laughs> I was so mad because I was like. You can tell, you can tell. I mean, not just when they cut like that, but you can tell they cut, you know, and come back, you know? So I'm like, it doesn't, still doesn't feel like one continuous take, um, you know? More of a a jump cut? No, it's just a cut. I mean, you can just sort of tell, like you can kind of like tell when film is cut, you know? Um, But maybe, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a filmmaker and I kind of watch that stuff and I can kind of, way they spliced it in the old days is that what you're saying i think that, i think that's it i think it's the way they spliced it and stuff sometimes you can kind of tell nowadays they could do like uh have you ever heard of that movie like i think it's 1917 yeah it's the war movie all that. that that was shot like a uh all in one take kind of thing that was amazing i don't know how they did that i know but like but that was like 
Christopher Nolan wanting to up, you know, um, Hitchcock, and he did such a great job. But you can do that much easier with, um, you know, with uh, what is it, video, you know, than you can with uh, film, you know, because you know you you don't have ten minutes, you have. 50 minutes or whatever so you can you know you can do as much as you can right then you still have to figure out places where you have to actually cut it but then when you splice it on a um uh what is it uh on digital very easy like you barely tell it's you know yeah. Yeah, so. gotcha yeah very interesting yeah. Well, you see things differently than I do, of course, because you're a filmmaker. And yeah, I see things more in the filmmaker's eyes. You see it more in the actor's eyes, which I always love that part. Yeah, I focus on whether they're sincere or not, or they're using real emotion or just walking it in, you know, and they're calling it in and uh, stuff like that. But, what did you think of Joseph Cotton in this movie? Um, I, I think he was believable of sorts, but I don't know. I, I thought... Because they, the way they described it, he was going to be really super gruff, and he wasn't really that gruff. But um, he's convincing. We saw him in this other movie uh, not too long ago. Remember when uh, about the small town and the young? Yeah, Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, Shadow of a Doubt. And so um, I liked him better in Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah, um, I almost didn't even recognize him for some reason. You know, uh, maybe it's the hair that he had. He had specifically. Uh, was he younger than this? This was 1949. And, I uh, think he was younger in uh, Shadow of a Doubt. Was it earlier? Wait, I, it was, was he? Or later, in the 50s. All right, this was 1949. Shadow of a Doubt was... Doubt was 1943. Oh, was it? So he's yeah. older. So he's older in this one. And that's, I sort of noticed that too, I think, you know, he's a little older and he was sort of, honestly, I thought he was okay. Um, I, I, think I would have uh-huh. I I liked him better um, as the, the, the guy that like falls in love with Henrietta, you know, um, but the oh, problem is, and, and my biggest problem with also biggest, well, I say keep saying my biggest problem. My problem with this, another problem with this movie I have is the fact that, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the guy that is in this movie, the main guy, I may have never heard of him. I don't know him offhand. His name is um, Michael Wilder. Yeah. Wasn't he in another movie we just saw recently? He was in Stage Fright. Right. Yeah, he was uh, ordinary. He's ordinary. I did not even realize that. Yeah, I, I didn't recognize him. I didn't um, recognize him. Even though I had a different hairdo. But um, anyway, yeah, he's he's always good. Um, and um, so I mean, Joseph Cotton's okay. Michael Wilding was really okay. Um, they're all good. Ingrid Bergman, I thought was great. She was fantastic. Yeah. She was fantastic as usual. Um. Yeah. I also really liked the girl, uh, the the maid. Now, uh, her, her name is Margaret Layton, and I don't know. I've probably seen her in something, but I didn't recognize her uh, as such. But yeah, very uh, understated in a way, but until the very end, when she goes a little nuts. 
but uh, it was a little nuts, and that was because she was trying her hardest to get them to break up. Yeah, um, desperate, but she's uh, she had some kind of uh, maliciousness to her, or some dark foreboding quality, which I liked. Well, she was, um, I think it kept saying in all these different reviews, uh, not reviews, but like a plot synopsis that Millie, that was her name, had a uh, had feelings for Flusky. But honestly, I, I didn't pick that up, really. I just picked it up that she just didn't well, like the first. But then I, I'm sure Hitchcock had her, you know, more transparent towards the end. I mean, she sort of. At the end, you sort of know, okay, she does, you know, um, she does like him, but I don't think I ever felt like she had feelings for him uh, when I was watching it. Uh, and, and maybe that was, maybe that was me. I don't know. No, it wasn't you. I didn't, didn't pick up on it either until yeah. more transparent towards the end because she really tried harder to, to, to actually hook him. You know, especially when she was saying all the bad things about the couple and, oh, my God, isn't it wonderful how, you know, the love blooms eternal and, you know, and they're, they're so good together. So handsome couple. It's like, what the hell? I thought he was going to slap her, but he never did. He didn't tell her to shut up or anything. And she just went overboard on saying all these things that make him jealous and resentful. And, you know, and I thought he was going to go kill, kill his wife. When he storms into the, the governor's ball. Oh, yeah. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, by the way. The governor's ball where uh, where first uh, the <laughs> it was my favorite. My favorite part is the governor and his cousin are talking. Right. And he's like, why are you here? You're you're not. You know, you weren't invited. You're not supposed to be here. And the cousin's just like. Well, I mean, I, I came in with Miss Flusky and then Miss Flusky comes in and he's like, uh, you know, because the guy had said, you need to go do this stuff, right? You know, you know, you need to go away and go do this stuff. And so the Miss Flusky says some stuff and he's like, oh, I never said that. You need to stay here. Let me go and entertain, you know, like every, because, right, well, yeah, you, 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 you know. This guy's kind of a con man. He's a likable con man, this Flusky guy. He's a ne'er-do-well, kind of a playboy, lazy, uh, genteel-type Irishman. And his family sends him to uh, Australia because, you know, he's like... Oh, no, not Flusky. But you're talking about the other guy, the um, uh, the, the Michael Wildling's character, right? You're talking about Adair. So he goes in and he he makes this phony uh, invitation. And signs it. He fraudulently, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> he, he forges a signature to get uh, him and this m- m- lady, uh, what's her name? Henrietta. Into the ball. And they catch him on it. Like, this isn't his signature. And then the governor went, how dare you? Get out of my house. And you can tell, like, he's angry. He's irritated with his cousin or nephew. But at the same time, he has affection for him. But then, you know, he, he's really serious this time. He says, no, get out. I want you out of here. And then he sees Ingrid Bergman, you know, the lady Henrietta, and he falls in love with her. Like, he's smitten with her. He says, oh, well, uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe I could change my mind. So, <laughs> And then Flusky comes in, the actual, like, the, the husband of Henrietta, and he's pissed, you know. Yeah, like he interrupts the whole thing. And yeah, so- he interrupts the whole thing. And, uh, and then the, they hate each other. By the way, we forgot to mention also 
that, um, you know, earlier that uh, basically Flusky hires uh, Adair to basically try to get his wife, you know, okay, you know, right? Like basically try to get her off the sauce because she's she's always drunk. Try to get her to, you know. Uh, spiritless he's trying to reanimate her and get her interested and he knew that they did he know that they knew each other back in the old country i'm not sure if that was ever discussed i don't remember that being discussed but that might have been that's a plus so let's start at the beginning though when when they first meet this uh this guy goes to ireland right uh charles adair and he's trying to get uh, figure out a way to make some fast money you know fast buck so he goes to this banker and then the banker tells him, well, you got to meet this guy. You know, this guy's like uh, one of the millionaires over here. He, you know, and he tells him the backstory where he was in a penal colony. And I, he never did figure out how he made his money. But mm-hmm. uh, then then they meet. And the, and so Flusky goes, hey, how would you make like, like to make a little money? You know, why don't you buy this land and then sell it to me? Because I'm up to my limit. I can't buy anymore. It's a governmental proclamation where you can only have so much. Mm-hmm. And then, so they do that, and then the governor gets wind of it, and he says, did you do this? My God, what are you trying to do? I mean, he says, well, I'm trying to raise sheep. He says, in the middle of the city, you're going to raise them on pavement instead of pasture? You know, <laughs> I, I love that. Not white sheep, but, uh, you know, and then he throws them out of the house because you can't live here if you're going to do that. If you're going to, if I'm going to sign this, then you're going to have to go live somewhere else. And so he lives, goes, lives with Flusky and his wife. So that's mm-hmm. when he first meets her, and it wasn't apparent at first that he's enamored with her. But it's a, you know he slowly becomes uh, in love with her. It's kind mm-hmm. of just so like this is strange because like it's a love story with no real love story. You know, yeah. he sacrifices himself in, in the end for love and uh, exactly, you know. and to let her be with her yeah, the person she's supposed to be with, which I think is more sweet. You know, because obviously if he, you know, a lot of times these days, the movies will show it where the the guy, the, the hero wins in the end, right? Instead of sacrificing themselves for the love. Self-centered love. You know, if you really love somebody, you let them be happy. Um, the Graduate, you know, is a, is a good example of letting somebody go. And then he still ends up getting the girl at the end. But like in the beginning, he didn't, you know wasn't you know he let her go so i don't know that's um wonderful um i you know i i was really just i was really like um i mean i i don't know i just really had a fun time with this movie in a way like it was kind of it was kind of boring but you know the more that i talk about it, the more that i think about it and it had some really good moments i mean yeah. it was a little long like two hours you yeah. know like they kept saying, it's fifteen minutes too long, and I agree. And it, but it was tame by by Hitchcock, uh, you know, standards. So it wasn't full of malevolence and you know uh, something jumping out of the closet at you and all of this stuff. But but it was interesting. It became intriguing in, in kind of a dim way, I guess. But um, still, you know. But so anyway, Charles propositions Flusky, and uh, uh, and then he's a and Flusky's a self-made rich man with a criminal past. And then we found out much later that, is he really? You know, that's the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, um, 
So then they uh, they do the deal. He lives with them. He becomes uh, enamored with the wife. She comes down to a dinner party that obviously all the wives are not present and they don't come because they don't like them. That they don't like the, the, the Flutskies and only the men show up. And then she comes down drunk, but it's hard to tell. She plays it so, you know, close to the vest. She comes down, she's, and I've known people like this. I used to have a girlfriend who liked it. She was uh, drunk all the time, but she was so gracious and genteel that you never know unless you got closer and smelled her breath. But, um, and then, so she goes upstairs and sees a rat and starts screaming. And so Charles runs up the stairs and shoots the fireplace and pretends he shot the rat. And, uh, <laughs> and so he says, oh, this place is full of rats, like pink rats which means the humans are rats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I pretty- didn't know that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so, did you, did you know that when you heard it, when he said it, or did you look that up? I caught, I kept stopping it. The film, I, I wanted to see the film one more time without taking notes, so to speak, just see it, see all the way through, which I normally do. First time, every, every minute I was stopping it and I was writing notes for five minutes. And then it, it took me four hours to see the movie. Oh, jeez. Uh, so I caught a lot of stuff the first time, but uh, and so uh, Flusky hires his convict, and he says he hates horse thieves and murderers. You remember that? And mm-hmm. uh, even though he apparently is one, so uh, this whole time throughout the most of the movie, we think this guy's a murderer, man. I mean, he's a, really a, a bad dude, but and apparently we find out he's not the guy we think he is. So. Um, Anyway, uh, which I think is a good is a good thing, because most of the time, yeah, you're looking at it through the ideas of like, this guy's a murderer, you know, right? So you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I'm I'm like, I'd be sort of worried about him. Right. And then later, you've come to find out that he's not the murderer. And so when you look, if you rewatched it now, knowing he's not the murderer, you'll probably be thinking something different. You know, when you watch it, you'll see him as sort of like a different character, you know, different person, which I think is an interesting, you know, thing that Hitchcock's done on multiple times, you know, where you think one thing, but then later you find out it's completely different. Exactly. So anyway, I don't want to jump to the end, but uh, that's why when something happens at the end, I wasn't really surprised. I thought, well, he's a murderer. You can easily shoot somebody. You know, we find out, no, that's not the case. So it's like, well, maybe it was an accident. But by that time, you know, so Hitchcock was really clever doing that. He led us one way. And at the end, he threw us back the other way. And uh, exactly. All that I just see. So I had to go keep going back and watching it again. (laughs) It's like, did he really or did he not? (laughs) But there's a lot of little things. that I caught in this thing. It's like uh, they asked Charles once when he first came to Australia, did, uh, what did he like about Australia? He says, well, I found the Australian animals very interesting. And then the man says, uh, well, what, I, I meant, what do you think about Sydney society? And Charles asked, is there any? <laughs> you know, because it's like a frontier town and people aren't the same as back in old Ireland. But uh, I didn't think there was much in Ireland at those days either. But I, guess. I wonder, do they film in Sydney? I wonder. Do they make film in Sydney? No, do they film it in Sydney or do they film it like um, on a stage or something? You know? Yeah, I didn't notice. 
I normally do look at where the location. But I'm not see, sure there's the locations on IMDb. Sometimes they'll. So oh, gonna... all right. Front of Government House in Sydney is Topanga Canyon Boulevard. Are you kidding? You oh. know, and uh, most of it was filmed in Warner Brothers, Calabasas, California, England, UK, MGM Studios, British Studios in England, UK, and Los Angeles County uh, Botanic Garden. Uh, so yeah, it was filmed in the UK and USA, but not in Australia, which I'm guessing it was probably more difficult to film in Australia back then, you know, than it would be now. You know, did you notice I like nobody had an Australian accent in this whole movie? Yeah, I did notice, but you kind of forget about that later. I mean, at first you're just watching it going because all I can think of is like this is supposed to be Australia, like unless every single person had moved from England or Ireland to, you know, and most of them just had a British accent. They didn't even have like an uh, Irish accent or American accent. Or a Swedish. With yeah, like Ingrid Bergman had an American accent. Yeah, she kind of faked that, but that was pretty good. Um, now, I, a lot of times in the movie, I, I stray from the original premise and pick up little bits and pieces that they throw in. It's like, you know, like a little trivia type thing. And one of them is when the pro, the provost marshal was it called it provincial marshal asked Charles to speak to his cousin. Remember, he sees him there, mm-hmm. and the governor. He says um, he thinks that the, the prison is disgraceful. I wouldn't keep a pig in it. And Charles said, "Are you a connoisseur of pigs?" <laughs> tomorrow said no i leave that to the irish and then he realizes oh shit this guy's irish he said oh you are irish aren't you and, and so is the governor great race great body of men great gentlemen great soldiers please speak to the governor about the prison this is scandal and then charles says my cousin is very interested in scandals meaning his own you know <laughs> living with these criminals and uh oh that is so cool it's just these little these little uh vignettes you know are really fun and if you can catch them. And then, uh, let's see, uh, we already talked about where Lady H, she, she comes down and she's drunk, but in, in a nice way, you know, she's she's pleasant. She doesn't really offend anybody. Um, yeah, she wasn't rude or anything. But she drinks so much that she's hallucinating. And then later on, we find out, is it really because of the wine or is it because of something else? Yeah, because the... Um... Because she put some, st- or apparently Millie put some stuff in her, her drink, and uh, and um, what's his name? Uh, in, in the um, Flusky sees like because she points it out to him, like you know she's trying to poison me basically or something kind of thing, and uh, and yeah. it's not poison. It's just she's trying to make her you know have halluc- you know hallucinations so yeah. that she. You know, it's crazy. Kind of make her look bad. Yeah. Drive a wedge between a husband and a wife. And so nobody sees this coming until mm. the end. But the, let's do the background on this. How did they first meet? Do you remember the husband and the wife? He was a stable board. Uh, back oh, in yeah. And uh, he, he fall, he's living with a rich family in Ireland. And uh, so he falls in love with the daughter. And then, of course, that's scandalous because, oh, how dare you, you know, run off with a stable boy. But they fall in love and they elope. And then they're followed, followed by her brother, who is it just it, 
inflamed with, with anger and uh, disgrace. And so he almost tries to kill him. And so in self-defense, he ends up dead, right? And do you remember that? Or is this mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. That's okay. Absolutely so, right. Um, so I don't know if we can talk about this now. Well, she tells she tells him all of this stuff as like part of his secret, you know, and everything. And in order to tell the truth that she, you know, um, murdered, um, she mur she was the one who murdered her husband, her boyfriend, not not boyfriend brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she she does it in self defense because the brother tries to kill them. And so they were going to, the, the husband takes the rap, Sam Slutsky takes the rap, and he gets seven years in Australian penal colony, simply because he did it kind of in self-defense. They didn't even call it self-defense back then, but he, he, it wasn't first-degree murder, it was second-degree murder. So I don't even know how they can call it murder, because murder implies consent, or, or not intent, not consent, but <laughs> I don't think it does not imply consent. Yeah. <laughs> They have a different standard for these things. Yeah, it's intent. So yeah. For her, and he takes the rap. Mm -hmm. And what really surprises me is what she did during those seven years. I was thinking that, you know, she just like uh, got a job in a department store or something and waited for him when she does visit him. But apparently, she becomes a woman of the streets, she becomes a prostitute. And even at the end, he says, Get out of here, you're trash. Remember when she gets angry? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of like shades of another movie I saw recently where the woman uh, becomes, a, I guess, is that a, a movie we just saw, Marnie? She Marnie, yep. Yeah, so it's kind of like in that same vein. But uh, so anyway, uh, Governor's angry at Charles to be friends with a scum. Uh, he thinks he's scum because he was in a convict colony, but he was in there for no good reason other than the fact he took the rap yeah so, the, he you know if anything he definitely shouldn't have been in there because he um did it out of love you know right. so uh, anyway you can't judge a book by the cover of her from their uh, alleged past um so um anyway after the dinner party um Charles oh, talks more and more with Lady Henrietta, which he calls Hattie. And uh, he says, you took me in like a stray dog. And he's very grateful for it. And uh, then Lily becomes very suspicious and resentful for Charles from meddling. And uh, he's trying to get Hattie to become more in command of her staff. Mm -hmm. Because we see at one point her going to the uh i guess kitchen or whatever like the kitchen area and all of the women uh the the cooks and other people did not like her whatsoever because i mean a she's not in charge uh what's her name millie is in charge the whole time uh because millie's in charge because she keeps uh basically keeps feeding booze to the girl to make her continue uh, to Henrietta to keep her from doing this. So it's like a cycle, you know, she'll keep feeding him booze. Then she, she becomes this crazy person. Then everybody, you know, listens to Millie and not her. Now that uh, Ch Charles is kind of getting her to, to be in charge of everything, Charles in charge. Um, 
Charles, you know, Charles is getting her to be in charge. She is uh, um, feeling more whatever. But there's a there's a great scene where the girl, uh, I guess, who was that guy? The guy that was with uh, Millie and had all the, the bottles of booze. Do you remember? One of her assistants. I don't know. I guess one of her assistants. But I don't know if we ever got his name or nothing. But uh, she had him come in there and then he dumps all the bottles and she, uh, uh, Hattie, a.k.a. Henrietta, like freaks out and runs out of the room. Uh, she can't handle this stuff. Um, she can't handle a confrontation. She's very yeah. But But Millie is very clever at how she does. She always like, oh, you know, come to me. I'll give you a hug. And she encourages her to be more dependent, which is undermining her confidence. She does it in a very sneaky way. Um, so uh, she's pretentious to be her best friend and you know even Hattie keeps saying oh my gosh she's, you can't let her go she's ready to quit and you know tells her husband oh she's my best friend and she mm-hmm. helped so much but is she or is she just doing it in a very strange way and undermining her confidence even more and so when he dumps the bottles everybody laughs she, she runs out of the room and that was her like a desperate attempt to undermine it even more because she's trying to exert control Hattie's trying to take it back mm-hmm. with the uh, encouragement of um, Charles. So it's kind of a tug of war back and forth. Who's got control? And uh, so he says, go back out there. You know, you don't give up. But she has a breakdown. and She locks her door, right? They can't get in. So he climbs the outside of the building. The husband won't even try to get in. And so it says, well, I'll get out there. I'll, I'll get out. So he goes, he climbs a trellis, gets up there, and then stays with her. And then actually kisses her. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, here we go. And then the husband, it pans out the side that, and you could see the husband looking up and kind of an angry scowl on his face. I don't know if he could see anything, but he could imagine. And then Millie, of course, milks that for all it's worth because the next day they have a big kitchen confrontation. It's like, I don't want him in my house. I don't want him meddling. Do you know what he's doing with your wife up there yesterday? And Oh my God! It makes it really. I mean, uh, all I could think about when she, when she was saying that was like, I think I believe he actually told him to go up there and, and talk to talk to her. Like he was encouraging Charles to try to help her or whatever. And even though he was getting angry about it, um, in a way, he was the one kind of like this was all his fault, you know, or whatever. He wants he wants her he wants her to get as much help. And to get as much confidence as she can, but also, but doesn't want her obviously falling in love with um, Charles, you know. Yeah. So, but Millie is very malevolent. Now, now we see it's pretty obvious that what she's trying to do, and uh, um, so anyway, uh, they have that scene, and then you know he's obviously smitten with her, Charles is with Hattie, and then but she's she's still in love with her husband or, or faithful to him anyway. But you, you can see where she's weakening a little mm. bit. And you're like, oh, my God, here goes. You know, this is true novella. Um, <laughs> so uh, Charles, I'll just say, um, so anyway, uh, let's see. So anyway, they, they uncover the stash of wine bottles. But we still think she's a drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And poisoned by other things. Um, so uh, and then, oh, and then she... He encourages her to go back down there and take back control. He says, I can't do this. And he says, Oh, you've got to do this. So she goes back down there. I love this scene. She says, 
she takes the strap down, right, that Millie used to beat the staff with. He says, throws it in the fire. She says, this is gone right now. There's no more strap. He says, but there's also no more stealing, no more gossiping. Are you going back to that penal colony? And I mean it. It's like, yeah, right, baby. You know? Yeah, when she starts getting her confidence back, I was happy. Yeah, that and, and, and so I thought, well, she's on a, on the mend, but no, it's no, nope. more surprises for it. <laughs> well, I mean, and I like that though. I like that. Um, we think that she's on the mend, and we think everything's whatever, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, it's not, it's not the same. And um, I, I just dug that because all I could think about was like that this whole time, like one thing's happening. And of course, just like life, something happens. And the thing is, she's like a scared little girl. You know, anytime trouble happens, she runs back to her room. She shuts the door. She locks it. She wants to get away from everybody. Um, just be in her room and she wants to drink because it's what's easy for her, you know, well, like all her life. You know, I, I've known a lot of rich people and they're either really timid or really bold. It's not one or the other. It's uh, or it is one or the other. And uh, so I think apparently her parents were very strong. So she became weak and dependent. And so she's, she easily falls back to that position. That's her fallback position. So then uh, they have this big fight in the kitchen with uh, Charles and, and Millie, and he accuses her of brutal rudeness, and mm-hmm. he, she accuses him of being, you know, uh, unfaithful or, or her wife of being unfaithful, and so she quits. She says, "I'm I'm out of here. I'm mm-hmm. not." And I, we think she's gone forever, right? But no, she comes back later. But she won't stand for meddling, so she she leaves, and. Uh, so then um, uh, Charles tells uh, the lady Henrietta, uh, so don't don't give up hope and don't listen to this spiteful gossip. And uh, and then Sam says, uh, Sam Flesky, Lily and I are the same common folk. You and the lady Henrietta are upper class. So we see things in different ways. It's like, OK, here comes the clash, clash, the class clash. Um, so Lady Henrietta confronts the kitchen staff, uh, which we just talked about, and then uh, she finally demands respect. She commands a competition to make breakfast. So this is a really funny scene. In the moment. Yep. She challenges them all to make breakfast for all three of them, for Charles, Hattie, and Sam. And then the next, and then that morning, they all get a different version of breakfast. And you know, one one's eggs are all runny. It's just crap. It's a sloppy crap. The other's all burn up. The other one's perfect, right? So it's like the three little bears. This one's a little. This one's a yeah. little runny. This yeah. one's ooh. This one's too burnt. Oh, this one's just right. Ooh, good stuff, Sam. Right. So of course. Of course, yeah. So, um, but butter up the boss. But if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to give the one person the good stuff, give it to the boss, you know, yeah. give it the one who's going to like pick who, you know, for sure. So right after that incident, uh, guess who comes up with an invitation to governor's ball? Charles. Hey, guess what I got? And he, well, he created it. We didn't know that. But uh, we think, well, because he's because of the governor, he's going to get free passes. Right. But, he, but the governor did not want him there. 
No. We'll find that out. Yeah. No real invitation. I, I, I guess it was a blank one. He probably put it in his pocket and then he filled it out. So he probably he, took it from the governor's because wasn't he at one point in the governor's um, palace or whatever, like in the governor's office before all of this, you know? So he probably took one. We just never saw it happen because if we did, we know we would know like he was going to do something with it, you know? You know what I mean? Like we wouldn't want to. He wouldn't want to televise what he's about to, you know, for the Hitchcock televise what he's planning to do. So it's a surprise. Yeah. And so then they have this conversation like, oh, well, I can't go. Sam says, that, you know, Flusky, I can't go to that. I'm not going to that place. I don't like those people. And then uh, somebody suggests that, oh, why don't you two go? Was that the housekeeper or, the, or the, maybe they just figured it out amongst themselves. And so they decide to go. But then guess who comes back? The housekeeper. Well, lo and behold. Yeah, I was mad when she came back. I was like, man, your wife, you know, obviously she has to come back because she has to be sort of the uh, sort of the villain of the whole thing. Oh, she you know, damn, she wants to miss her Flosky. So she comes back and then I get it. Aha. That was my aha moment. She's after him. She wants the house. She wants the riches. She wants the title. And so she goes back and puts a burr in his saddle. She puts a thing in his brain like, oh, aren't they the handsome couple? And then which adds to his grief. And then she makes a play for him. She's come back for her box, but needs to stay the night. You know, uh, well, just coincidentally. Uh, and then it keeps insinuating her leadership look radiant. Doesn't she look so good? Like something new had come into her life. Oh, Lil plants doubts in his mind, and he listens to it all, her wicked drivel. And I was thinking at some point he's going to slap the hell out of her, and he doesn't. And then she talks about this new dance called the waltz, and I thought, wow, I never do that. Is that when it came out, 1931? The waltz in which men and women are in each other's arms, actually touch each other. Till then, they never did. We respect your trust in a younger man escorting your wife out for the evening fun. She goes on and on, making him look more suspicious and resentful. And uh, so then, um, so anyway, after that, they uh, you see him come to the party after they've already tried to come in. You know what? The waltz actually came out in the 13th century. Seriously? However, I bet that back in the 1800s in australia they didn't have the internet they yeah. didn't have all that other stuff yeah. she just thought of it as a new dance years to get across the pond yeah probably it might be hold on uh in australia that's a good point and so in australia uh australia um 1834 really when was this made? Or was this supposed to be 18? It was made to look like 1831. Well, I mean, oh no, that was in the United States in Boston. When was it in Australia? Um, uh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's about, been around. Yeah. So, anyway, so yeah, all those things come into play. And now, he it, he's at the breaking point, right? He's stealing my wife. He finally gets it. Like, what the hell have I done? I've created a monster here. Right. Off together. And so he follows him to the governor's ball, confronts the wife, talking to the governor. 
and then there's a culture clash and and sam feels not wanted by the elites and they don't want him either and lady uh, henrietta reveals a dark secret to charles uh later on about what happened that's after they come back mm-hmm. uh, so she killed her brother to prevent him from killing them after he has discovered them to be married he follows them to wherever they went to and so angry he's ready, ready to kill the husband she jumps in front of him and uh but it kills him instead of before he could kill her and then sam took the blame they found the brother's bullet in the window frame later so it saved him from hanging they were going to hang him uh so only seven years for self-defense uh, and so then she starts drinking to forget and works the docks and visited sam in prison and possibly became a prostitute they didn't make it too obvious but and then they had heated words and Sam says, get out of my house, you're trash. And uh, so then Charles tries to convince her to leave at the same time, you know, come away with me. And uh, so Charles tries to ride a horse to leave. Horse throws him, breaks a leg. Uh, it was an accident. And uh, Sam uh, kills a horse, um, which is natural to thing to do. You know, I, well, I like that better than Marnie, where we actually see the the you know the the murder of a horse, right? In this situation, she he goes out and does it. And we never see we just hear the gunshot, but we don't ever actually see, and we don't even hear the horse say nay or anything. We just hear the gunshot, and then he walks back in the house. So I like that. I mean. You know me, I'm an animal lover, so I don't like seeing animals die. I think, like, again, I think we talked about that on Marty, you know, um, especially, I mean, I understand if you have to kill the animal, if, like, an animal is hurt, you know, or something in some way. It broke its leg, so there's no way to patch that, because horses don't lay on their back for very long. Yeah, and it would be just in pain. Yeah, so Sam tries to hit Charlie with a gun. Um, I had to watch it several times. I kept going back and I did he really try to, and I think Charles tried to grab the gun is what happened. It went off. So it shoots him in the belly or somewhere. And uh, so then, then lady confesses to the governor and the attorney general to save Sam from going back to prison because they would have probably either hung him this time or put him in prison for a long time. And she said, I, I can't let the secret go anymore this i have mm-hmm. but then you know they need proof right so then they want sam to uh reveal the truth to s- support this and he won't do it he's still going to take the rap and he's very noble that way mm-hmm. so, and uh so and then sam suspects that uh she wants to go back to ireland to stand trial so she could be with charles and so he's not going to let her do that and then lily is back to comfort her and 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 sam of course and then right tells charles he's being sent back to ireland to avoid scandal i said get the hell out of here because i can't have you in my country you're making a mess of things and lily um puts uh the shrunken head in the bed Mm -hmm. that's a great scene there where she uh she uh, i think she screams and faints when she sees it Uh, yep hattie and then she feigns sleep. She pretends to be sleeping and sees Lily remove it and, and then put it in a box and then pour sleeping uh, drops uh, from a bottle into her wine. 
and coaxed her to drink it. She came over with a glass. She said, get the hell away from me with that thing. Now, I think that might be a lot of what they're talking about with suspicion. Because remember the poison glass uh, scene or poison milk scene in uh, Suspicion where you see uh, Cary Grant walking up the stairs with the with the glass and everything and you think it's poisoned or whatever you know but it might not be it might be you know you don't know because you never see him actually put the thing in there i think that is the um similar situation but this is you know she sees the the what what she thinks is poison which might actually just be hallucinogen somehow you know some kind of drug or something that will make her go you know think she's seeing shit Oh, she just calls it a sleeping potion, right? Because you need some sleeping potion because you're you're de- desperately tired. You're not sleeping well, so it's probably whatever, maybe a combination of things. So then, uh, yeah, she um, she brings the wine to her and she pushes it down, and then screams to Sam, and then they they wrestle and they're desperate. Sam comes up and sees the shrunken head and uh, starts screaming at Lily because he realizes then, you know. She's really an evil person. And uh, so it's uh, it's Lily. Millie. Millie was her name, actually. It's not Millie. It's Lily. Okay. Uh, It's actually Millie. If you look it up on IMDb, it it comes up as Millie. It's Millie. So Millie fights with them and she's in tears and said, I'm not good enough for you only to work for you. She's a dangerous woman. And uh, she has a secret agenda. And so the attorney general gives Sam the opportunity to clear himself by corroborating the wife's confession, and he won't. They tell him because he almost killed Charles, he would go back to the chain gang as a second offender. It's either him or his wife. So they pressure him to sacrifice his wife for himself. So either, okay, well, you, you want to die for this woman, even though she's unfaithful to you? And he, so he's like, well, what do I do? What do I do? And but and then get it, he get a pardon too for the first offense. So that was like coup de gras. Like we got an ace up our sleeve. You're gonna take that, of course. But he said, No, we sacrifice ourselves for each other. It, this must be an end to it. So the governor asked Charles to give testimony, and then he says he tells him his version, which I think is real, that he grabbed for the gun and it went off. And so they released Sam at the last second and uh so there was a, a. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Not to the, not the story. I mean, that's pretty much that. Pretty much sums up the whole movie. Um, what? The, the last line of the movie when Charles is asked why he's leaving, he said, "I love this big country, but it's not big enough." It almost mm. sounds something like John Wayne would say. Yep. <laughs> that actually does sound like a John Wayne line. Hear the lady anymore because he's obsessed with her. And uh, but anyway, it, it turns out to be in a very exciting climax. Uh, I really enjoyed the heck out of it. The last, the last uh, maybe one quarter of the movie, uh, but the first three quarters are kind of slow. But uh, you know, I mean, it does move along. There is a plot, but it is more uh, novella than anything. And so, Do you want to hear uh, some trivia? Yeah. Okay. So according to Michael Wildling's autobiography, The Wildling Way, on one occasion while he and Ingrid Bergman were in the middle of a passionate love scene, the, the, the kiss scene, 
Um, director Alfred Hitchcock let out a howl of pain. Then in the most gentle tone said, please move the camera a little to the right. You've just run over my foot. Uh, the x-ray revealed later that the camera's weight had broken Hitchcock's big toe. Dude, Poor guy. I remember uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, cancel production for a couple of days? Or? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure about that. Get his foot fixed. But, so, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock was not surprised by the critical and box office failure of the movie, freely admitting that it was an ego-driven project made only because Ingrid Bergman was, at the time, the biggest movie draw in America and available. Um, This was Hitchcock's third movie in a row that failed at the box office. His previous previous box office failures were the Paradine case and Rope. His next movie, Stage Fright, was also a box office bomb. Hmm. Uh, Three strikes and you're out. He, yeah, I think, was that four strikes? Damn. And he wasn't out. Nobody kicked him out. Um, that way, went back to England to do one. Retreat to your home base. <laughs> right. Uh, according to the book, it's only a movie. Hitchcock originally wanted Arthur Lorenz to do the screenplay. To Hitchcock's chagrin, um, after reading Helen Simpson's, uh, Simpson's novel under Capricorn, Arthur Lorenz told uh, Hitchcock that he, w- he was the wrong writer for the project. So Alfred Hitchcock hired James Brighty uh, to do the screenplay instead. Um, let me see. Okay. All right. So here's one thing, other thing. Um, this movie was well noted for its deep layered themes among critics in Europe. Uh, because of this, the movie had various titles in Europe. In Italy, it was called Il Pacato de Lady Con- uh, Consindine, which is translated to the latest sin of Lady Consindine, which I'm wondering, was that her last name? Honestly, but that was Flusky. Um, well, that was her married name, but originally, you know, she was from a very rich family. Interesting. Um, in Germany, it was called Sklaven des Herzens, which translated to the slave of the heart. This is because the characters in the movies are slaves to the feelings of their heart. Sam and uh, Millie are driven by the feelings of their inferiority complexes. Larry, uh, Lady Henrietta is driven by the feelings of guilt and shame. Lady Henrietta feels guilty for the suffering of Sam while feeling shameful for the alcoholism at the same time. Charles Adair is driven by the feelings of shameful emptiness, which was revealed through the line to Lady Henrietta, I spent most of my life warding off boredom. Hmm. There's some great lines in this movie, by the way. Um, With uh, Alfred Hitchcock playwright James Brighty, wrote the screenplay for the movie in such a way where four main characters, uh, Henrietta, Millie, Adair, and Flusky are alike through their actions. So sort of they were, like each had, as he was saying, like this sort of had deeper layered, you know, thoughts of like um, guilt, you know, in some way, you know, or whatever. Um uh flusky feels guilty for sort of be, you know kind of taking the rap i guess and and you know and and all that and then uh a dare uh a dare feels guilty 
about his feelings for, you know, for Lady Henrietta in a way, you know? I and, think it was more resentfulness that he felt for, for taking the rap. It's like, why in the hell did I do this? Now I'm losing the woman to this young pup. And I, I spent seven years for this woman and now she's unfaithful to me. And then on top of that, Adair is the hero, really, because he says at the end, he gives his statement. This is what happened. And it is what happened. It's literally what happened. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, like, because he says, you know, the, the horse came out, he died, you know, uh, he came in, shot it, he came in, we struggled and uh, he shot me, you know, it was an accident. The gun went off and they're like, oh, well, well, then we'll have to take him down for for that and he was like you know so it was an accident you know like modern day movie probably would he would have lied to send the the other guy away to prison again and he'd steal the wife <laughs> yeah i mean i guess you'd do that mainly because you want the hero to win in a way yeah, but well, like it was sort of, it would have been really messed up had he lied like that right in front of her too you know his honor in the world you know and yeah, he was a gentleman, which they talk about. They they keep saying gentleman. I, I have given the woman away. My myself, I've been in that situation where she had two small boys too, and she went back to her husband, and I let her do it. I didn't fight for her because I thought they they need mother and father. These kids. It's it's that, and it's also sometimes like like they say, you know, you got if you love something, let it set it free yeah, you know I, kind of thing and i i feel like that was sort of a little bit of a theme of this movie too is he really did feel for her but yeah. uh not just because they actually knew each other back in the day in ireland or whatever but because he really just fell in love with her and stuff and then he had to set her free you know shared background you know he knew she grew up with her sister or she grew up with his how do, how do you say that? I, she she grew, she knew his, his sister well. They grew mm -hmm. up, so they they did have shared experience, and so um, and they spoke the same language probably. The whole right. Thing. So yeah, there was a lot of commonality there. So yeah, it, it was very interesting when you when you really pick it apart and dissect it and peel back the onion layers. Or, it's it's very interesting in that respect, but it's not the Hitchcock you know and love from other movies. Well, like you said, he was or like it was said before, he was experimenting. This was an ego-driven project. <laughs> he wanted to try something that was out of his wheelhouse, and he did. And it and it it wasn't terrible. Like it wasn't it wasn't no. the worst thing I've ever seen. And the more that we talked about it, actually the more I started liking it a little bit more and stuff. And maybe a second or, th I mean, another time or another time, like more I watch it, maybe the more it'll, it'll sit with me. Like you say, you watch it normally like twice and you didn't get a chance yeah, to this yeah, time. Again, but anyway, I didn't want to sit through the whole thing. And so I kept putting it off, but I think he made a lot of middle-aged housewives very happy. So he probably recruited a new bunch of fans by doing this. Even though I lost some of the old ones, and yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta sacrifice some some people because yeah, you want you know you want everybody to enjoy your work, you know, and yeah, you can't win them all though. Mm -hmm. Very opinionated, uh, but I'm, I'm sure people came back. You know, once they found out he made the birds. Oh wow, I gotta see that. So or yeah. Psycho, Psycho, I think was like the next big one. 
you know, and once that that got that became the hit, I think I thought that was the hit that really brought people back or whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe North by Northwest. I mean, there's Vertigo. There's a lot of these movies that came out like right after this one. So, you know, in the 50s, you know, 50s and 60s, Hitchcock was doing pretty good for himself. You know, like he had sometimes you have to have a string of flops to get to the ones that people really love. Yeah, he's a celebrity in his own right for his acting ability. You know, when he introduced his TV series, you know, every episode had a different little vignette. <laughs> and I used to love watching that. You know, more than the, the little movie itself. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so he had a very interesting career. So, oh, and this one, we forgot. Was he in this at all? Because I forgot to look. And I, I forgot don't to look, too. Um, I, I didn't forget. Um, let me see. Hitchcock cameo. Hitchcock cameo. Let's see if there's a list. There should, there's got to be a page. Okay, list of Alfred Hitchcock cameos. So let me see. Um, cameo appearances in... Uh, let's see. What, what is it? Uh under Capricorn. This is an alphabetical order too, so that helps. Under Capricorn. Two minutes and 11 seconds in the town square during the new governor's speech with his back to the camera wearing a blue coat and a brown top hat. Okay. Oh, and then he's also that's weird. He's in two. He makes two cameos in this one. (laughs) And we missed both of them. Uh, in 12 minutes and 17 seconds, he's one of the three men on the steps of the government house. Okay. I'll have to go back at some point and, and look for him. Okay, I'm going to look for those. Yeah, definitely. That sneaky little guy. Uh, he like He's like, where's Waldo? It's like, where's Hitchcock? Yeah, I yeah. was so involved in the story i completely missed it. well you i mean you as you said you kept stopping and everything i bet you would have noticed it maybe <laughs> uh had you like done it the second time where you're just just enjoying yeah, it but i was just trying to focus on what the hell am i watching here <laughs> exactly well um i think that brings us to the end um i think we talked a good amount about this uh film actually more than i was expecting you know yeah. i i didn't know like when i was watching it going i don't know like i don't even know how you felt about this because when i was watching i was kind of a little bored but i think i think if i keep watching it i'll um you know i i, I think it'll grow on me in time yeah, well, you know kind of did but still the, the was- shrunken head scene was probably my favorite scene yeah. you know one of my favorite scenes today on that one what he, he saved the day and startled us yeah well he had to because they call this a fucking thriller and it's not a thriller it is not don't don't call us a thriller yeah, you know moment of thrillness yep <laughs> so next month is december which will be um uh which will be when we uh do the finale and I will announce what it is right now. So if anybody wants to go watch it before 
or whatever, the next movie that we are going to be reviewing is going to be Vertigo, which is, yeah. So uh, if you guys have been following us for a while, you know, like what we do is we'll watch most of the other movies that Hitchcock has done that don't have the notoriety of like his famous ones. Virgo is one of the famous ones. Last last year it was Psycho that we ended on. This year it's Vertigo. Another year will be North by Northwest and <laughs> the birds and all I see that stuff. Here. Yeah, there's a method to your madness. There is. There's a little bit. And I'm hoping that we get through all of them. I mean, there's only like 55 or something. Like known existing copies. I'm sure somebody has one tucked away somewhere. Well, no, no, they have they have ones, but they're not. Uh, some of the ones that they have that I find on YouTube that are like kind of lost Hitchcock stuff or whatever, they're not. Um, I don't think they're like full movies or something, you know, or whatever. And I have to look into them, but we'll do all the ones like they're pretty much on IMDb, and um, we'll get you know, season three will start in March of next year. Uh, so that'll be crazy just to get back into another year you know for free too i always find the free free ones what this one i i watched on something uh it was on youtube yeah was this free on youtube yep free on youtube i guess that's where i watch it yeah um the uh vertigo might not be but it probably i think vertigo has got to be on a streaming channel like hbo max or something it's a it's a famous if anybody wants to watch it for free just type in free after the title name okay so vertigo is on peacock i don't know if you have peacock or not but no. peacock is like six bucks you know i i have enough with netflix which anyway i used to get the discs now i you know we stream it so i don't even know how to do that i let my family do that oh do all the streaming stuff more tv is smarter than i am i cannot <laughs> It is a smart TV. I mean, you yeah. know. there's all these uh, hoops, these bells and whistles, and I, I can't do it. So I let them do it. And I used to get all these discs in the mail. And I was their last existing old time customer that got it through the mail. You know, these little red envelopes. Really- Actually, you're not. You're not the only one. My friend Vittorio does the same thing. I think yeah. we had him on the show before. Well, sorry but- for season three, I do plan to try to get some more guests back, you know, because I love us talking about it, but it'll be awesome to bring in somebody else and give another perspective on these things, you know, um, especially some of the older movies that a lot of people don't get to watch these days, you know, and stuff, a lot of the older um, movies. But uh, aside from that, um, so join us next uh, next month for the season finale. I'm really excited. Um, I think we've got some really good stuff going. You know, Under Capricorn wasn't terrible, you know. But yeah, I think it really is probably one of my least favorites, you know. It's certainly underappreciated. Underappreciated. <laughs> and sort of underwhelming. Yes. Yeah, I see there. No, so there you go. So under under Capricorn, underwhelming, underappreciative. And uh you know, uh, everybody check it out if you get a chance to watch it. Like you said, it's free on YouTube. So just look up Under Capricorn on YouTube. It'll come up as free movie and uh, you guys can watch it. It's not 
Um, I, I wouldn't suggest buying it on DVD or, or Blu-ray or anything because it's really, unless you're a collector like myself who wants to have all the Hitchcock movies, it's, it's not really worth it, I don't think. Like, if you want to see it, it's one thing, you know, but if you want to own it, I, I wouldn't suggest actually owning it. Um, you don't need to. Um, it would be nice if they'll put all of Hitchcock's movies on, like, um, you know, uh, what is it? Um, yeah, it would, but we're going to be able to claim that we saw every one of the existing copies, at least. So, you know, we've seen all these movies that can be seen. So that's going to be a feather in our caps. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to five seasons, you know, and then I think that's all we got, all we got to do. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if we get there or whatnot. Um, but uh, maybe it was six seasons, but I think it was five. Um, it would mean that we've, we've done 50 of his movies, you know, and stuff. So that's, that's a good amount, I say, you know, if that's not all of them, but, you know, uh, it's close enough. <laughs> close enough. Bought on, yes. Uh, so um, I think, like, literally the only other ones that we'll be missing are, like, the ones where... And can you imagine making 50 movies, 50 feature length films like that's in a career, you know, like if you did one a year, that's that's 50 years that you've lived. I think actually, didn't he make 84 or something? Like I don't this. think so. Um, unless they're like. <clears throat> um, At least that was his attempt. <clears throat> I think I saw that. 69 quote. directed ones. Um one including an upcoming project called Kaleidoscope, which was abandoned. And I don't know if anybody can ever find it or not. Um, But it was May 1967, so would that mean, I guess, yeah, that would be take it after Torn Curtain and but before Topaz. Um, But um, it's a 69... Uh, like I said, a couple of them are short films, and I don't think we'll really get into that unless we do like a whole thing about short films that he's done, you know. Uh, there's one called Mary that's a mystery thriller um, that I, I think I looked it up. You can find it on YouTube, I believe, you know. Okay. Um, there's a movie called East, uh, well, East of Shanghai, but it's actually Rich and Strange, which you can get um strauss's great waltz um i i think that was also called waltzes from vienna uh with edmund gwynn you know i don't know if that's on my list or not um but i think you can a lot of these you can find on youtube because they're public domain films which a lot of hitchcock's older stuff is actually public domain unless it was bought by criterion you know um so like movies like Lady Vanishes or um, The Man Who Knew Too Much, you can't, you know, that's not public domain anymore, you know. So there you go. All right, everybody. Uh, check us out next week. Also, check out our Facebook. I think we have a Hooked on Hitchcock Facebook that I need to start working on a little bit more, doing stuff with, maybe posting tidbits and information about the movies that we review and and stuff, you know, things like that, um, uh, videos, whatnot. Um, also, check out our TikTok, Indie Film Cafe TikTok. Um, check out um, 
our Instagram, I think, I don't think we have a hooked on Hitchcock Instagram, you know, um, just too many, you know, they don't, they don't let you have enough pages. Like Facebook lets you have a billion pages, but, uh, uh, Instagram's a little bit like you have to have only six, you know, or something at a time that you can have open or whatever, mm. you know, Instagram and Twitter are kind of a pain in the ass with the pages and stuff. Um, and mainly to cut down on spam, I understand, you know. So everybody else, I hope you guys enjoyed this and uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, and join us next week for Vertigo, and, or not next week, next month for Vertigo. Until then, every what? Well, you see it ahead of time so you can follow along with us and yeah. see if you agree or not on what are some of our opinions. And we might have a special guest on that episode. I'll I'll, I'll let I'll fill in. Larry in a second, but we'll see. That'll be really great to have more guests on the show. So yeah. until then, everybody, have a good one. Bye. Bye.